Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's edition of the Africa Fintech Rising podcast. My name is Andrew Barden, and I'm the lead organizer and content director for the Africa Fintech Summit. Today, I'm joined by Paula Hunter, the executive director of the Mojo Loop Foundation. The Mojo Loop Foundation is a nonprofit organization that provides an open source model for payment interoperability and aims at overcoming the barriers that have slowed the spread of digital financial services. Without further ado, please enjoy the conversation. Paula, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure to be here. Now, for our listeners who may not know what MojoLoop does, could you please give us a brief introduction? Sure. Uh, the MojoLoop Foundation is a nonprofit organization that is the steward of the MojoLoop Open Source Project. And the MojoLoop Open Source Project is really a, a blueprint for de- deploying interoperable payments platforms. Uh, so it's developed as an open source project. It's freely available to all to deploy and enhance. And um, at the end of the day, our real focus is to increase in financial inclusion. So by making Mojulu freely available to the marketplace, we believe more folks can deploy it and offer it out to their citizens across, across the world. Now, I find the concept of open source software as opposed to, you know, generally within our industry, the vast majority of players are utilizing proprietary software. What advantages does open source bring for organizations, institutions, or central banks using your yeah, technology? Yeah, so open source has evolved quite a bit after, over the last two decades. There's uh, quite a few uh, solutions out there and uh, projects that are readily available and used around the globe. And, and basically what they take advantage of is two things. First of all, open source licensing, which makes the the code available to all freely, which allows an entity to deploy quickly and with fewer barriers, fewer cost barriers. But equally important is that community development model, which allows developers from a wide range of skills and uh, focus areas to come together prioritize what needs to be done uh, to improve and enhance the code base and iterate. So we have a a community that spans 45 countries right now. We meet multiple times a year. We sit down, we look at our product roadmap and say, what are the gaps? What are the enhancements? What are the customers asking for? And we iterate and get volunteers from within the community to, to enhance and maintain that code. And what that means is a central bank isn't writing a check to to a a vendor every time they want to see a feature and enhancement to the code base. They can be part of the community. They can uh, make their requirements known. They're likely to have other central banks asking for similar features. Um, And then collectively, as a unit, the community decides, okay, what priorities do we have for our next iteration of development? Um, And so having that community-driven approach, uh, it really improves the innovation cycle because you have many hands working on the code base. And again, it it delivers flexibility to the consumer 
the bank, if you will, um, because they can get the software on their own, but they can work with vendors, solution providers, systems integrators to help them optimize and tune the implementation for their specific needs. So it occurs to me that, you know, the Mojo Loop Foundation is sort of like a, a peer review, you know, paper that an academic institution may put out. You know, you have many sets of eyes looking at this, going through it and constantly updating it. Additionally, I guess what an institution can use as much of your code or as little as of your code as they would like. Is that correct? That's correct. And I love that analogy because, um, yes, we're really, um, as I said, we're the stewards of the code base, but we're also, uh, we also maintain a community uh, relationship. So we ensure that the community gathers regularly, that there's governance for how they act and how, how code is reviewed and tested and incorporated back into the code base, um, how people can make contributions uh, to the code base. So that that's not trivial. I mean, it's, it does require resources to do that work. But at the end of the day, we're able to harvest the contributions of many different organizations into one um, evolving project. Okay. Now, let's take a quick example. You know, say I don't know much about open source software, but I'm interested in learning a little bit more about it. You know, I could be a director at a bank somewhere. What what are some things that a beginner to open source or someone who doesn't have technical expertise, what should they know and what should they be asking about this? Sure. So first thing folks should know about open source is that it's not a business model. It's a development model. Uh, So it's a mechanism of building software in an open and community-driven model. It's not a business model. Uh, the people that make money from open source are the people that have skills that can help a company deploy and operate the, 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 the software, just as you would in a traditional proprietary software environment. But the licensing is free. So when anyone says open source is free, yes, but it's not free to hire expertise um, that can help you tune and optimize and deploy the, a, a, a robust solution for your bank. Um, so recognizing the fact that, um, you know, the Mojo Foundation is, we're not looking for any payments. We do not get any kind of royalties or, or money back from the licenses that are used. Um, so that helps you understand what the, who the players are that you might need to engage with. What systems integrators or service providers in my region are skilled in deploying payment solutions in, in the context of Mojo um, have they taken training? Have they gone to the, the training courses that the Mojo Loop Foundation offers? Um, and most, a lot of open source projects have some type of training model to ensure that uh, not just the developers, but the people that want to deploy the, the open source technology are properly trained. Another thing to, to be aware of are the licensing models. There's a lot of different licenses out there for open source software. Um, there are a couple of companies couple of entities out there that have vetted the, the most popular um, open source licenses. We, we chose to uh, license with the Apache Software uh, Foundation uh, license. Uh, it's, it's permissive. It's commercially flexible. It's very widely adopted worldwide. 
um, and offers protections for both authors and users. And so there's a lot of information available um, about the different licenses and the pros and cons of them. Um, the other thing would be if you really want to start getting to know more about a particular open source project, uh, get involved with the community. Um, like, like I said, we meet regularly uh, at least three or four times a year, sometimes face-to-face in, in Africa. Other times we do it virtually. But it's a way for you to observe who are the players, what kind of expertise do they bring to the project, who might I want to tap into because they're in my country or a neighboring country and they might be able to help me with this decision. Um, and then also uh, start learning about platforms and tools. Uh, probably one of the most pat popular platforms for open source is GitHub. Um, We use GitHub as the repository for open source code and tools and documentation and such. Um, So you you don't necessarily have to dive into all of that, but become familiar with them. And then if you have, you know, if you're a a manager of an IT department, you might want to have some of your staff start exploring some of those tools and platforms and getting to know the community. Because again, we're very transparent, but our meetings are open and free. Anyone can attend them. So if you're a customer and you're thinking about Mojuloop or an open source uh, product, not even any open source product, you should be able to have free and unfettered access to the community, to the code base, to the documentation, so that you can really evaluate whether or not not only the code meets your needs, you know, the, the solution, but is it is it a vibrant, well-governed community? Do they have systems and process in place to, to test and, and secure the software? Um, so yeah, it's it's a little bit of a learning curve, um, but there are again there are solution providers out there that can help walk you through that as well. Okay, now I know there are a few specific use cases where Mojo Loop's reference model is especially applicable. Can we dive into those a little bit? Sure. Um, probably the two most uh, uh, widely uh, acknowledged use cases are peer to peer and G to P, person to person and government to person payments. Um, so. P2P, um, I want to send my sister money across the street, across the country, across the world. Um, I want to pay someone for uh, goods or services. And they, we, we both have uh, peer-to-peer accounts. Uh, I'm a government entity. I want to, I want to disper- disperse aid payments or uh, tax refunds or, or other types of uh, government um, disbursements. Those are uh, use cases that we are, are keen to, to deliver. Uh, merchant payments. Um, you know, in a lot of cases you see merchants right now, they might have five, six, seven card readers in their, in their shop. Um, that's an expense to them. We'd like to reduce the, the, the complexity of merchant payments. Uh, use a simple QR code uh, for, for payments. That'd be great. Um, and, uh, you know, payroll, other bulk, bulk payments, um, you know, buying goods and services. Those are all, you know, the basic payment uh, payment scenarios that so many are still left uh, underserved uh, because they don't have bank accounts. And right now, in a lot of cases, the barriers to entry into using these type of digital technologies is having a bank account. In many of these cases, you don't have to have a bank account. You can use your, your mobile phone. You can have a wallet. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a high-end uh, smartphone. It could be a feature phone. Okay. Now, let's say that I'm the director of a regional bank in, for example, Lubumbashi DRC, 
And I want to modify our internal systems so that they seamlessly interoperate with payment providers. Now, our engineers came across the Mojo Loop Foundation, but me knowing that we would be using your blueprinting off of an open source framework, I, as the director of the bank, may have a few concerns about cybersecurity, etc. What are some reservations or concerns people have about leveraging open source software, and how do you typically address those? Sure. So I think first and foremost, when someone decides to deploy software, whether it be open source or proprietary, uh, in their data center for use with their customers, uh, that is the first step that needs to be evaluated on how do you secure your data center? How do you secure your data? And how do you secure access to your data center? Uh, That's true for any application that you you have to worry about, whether it's open source or not. With regard to Well, MojoLoop, what we do is make sure, A, that we have a very transparent um, process by which code is reviewed, evaluated, and um, accepted into uh, the code base. So it goes through rigorous security and testing review before we say, yes, this code is sound and can be part of our our code base. Uh, We have independent, independent, we welcome independent audits and assessments of of the security of of the software. We have very strong community support. So if we we believe that there's an issue that needs to be addressed, we can have a very rapid response um, to any security threats because the community coalesce and just jump on it and and knock it back very quickly versus a proprietary company that's only got the benefit of their own staff. We have the benefit of a community that, that knows the code base and can help lock down any issues that might arise. Um, and you know that community also brings a, a diverse set of expertise within the, within the, within the um, developer community. So they have different perspectives on what uh, cybersecurity threats might be arising. Um, and so we just feel that um, that community approach allows us to mitigate issues more quickly, uh, but also avoid them in the first place because we have the expertise of many different skilled uh, developers. Okay, yeah, that makes that makes sense. I know there have been, you know, a few recent examples um, in the industry of, you know, various hacks and whatnot that have happened uh, to other players in the industry. And, you know, oftentimes we don't hear about those until much later down the road um, and so forth. And, you know, what you just said, kind of being able to hop on that quickly with a large community of developers. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if I were actually the director of this regional bank in Lubumbashi, I would feel a little bit more comfortable uh, knowing that I'd have that community behind me. Well, then they all want it to succeed. So that's, you know, it's in their best interest to mitigate any issues as quickly as possible. For sure. For sure. Now, we've touched on this a little bit, but what institutions specifically benefit from MojoLoop's open source software? Well, right now, um, there are a number of uh, projects underway in various phases of deployment. Uh, Most recently, we've been working with uh, the government of Rwanda on a a very major implementation. That's not live yet. We've done a proof of concept with it. Uh, We're also working with a couple of entities in Myanmar to develop a MojoLoop system 
for agricultural microfinance loan repayments. Uh, the important thing to note is where it's really early in our evolution as an organization. Uh, these projects are very complex. They usually involve many go- gov- multiple government agencies, regulators, banks, systems integrators, funding partners, because in many cases they're getting payments from, uh, they're getting support from philanthropies to do the infrastructure deployment. Uh, so it, it, these projects are, are a long, long cycle uh, to get from, you know, first idea to implement full implementation. Okay. Now you mentioned earlier that Moja Loop has worked with uh, central banks and other institutions in the past. Essentially, if every central bank replicated Mojaloop software, I feel this could potentially undermine, you know, a nation's sovereignty and from there its safety. Now, I understand that there's a difference between digital sovereignty and data sovereignty, and I've heard you speak on this uh, several times in the past, but uh, for our viewers, I think they'd be interested in learning a little bit more on the topic. Could you please give us just an overview of digital sovereignty and data sovereignty? Sure, um, because I would counter that this actually increases sovereignty. Uh, so, so sovereignty means control. And in, in the case of data, data sovereignty, we've heard consistently um, across the continent that data sovereignty is so important that in many cases, an organization will not deploy in the cloud. Now, we use the cloud for development, and we also use the cloud for proof of concepts and pilot projects. It's a very quick and easy way to turn up Mojloop. But when um, entities want to deploy full-scale production-level implementations, they opt for in-house because they want that control over their data. At the same time, they now have control over the entire code base that has been deployed for their country country environment. Um, so replicating it across multiple countries doesn't diminish the individual country's control over their instance. And in fact, what it does is gives them more flexibility over time. If they want new features, enhancements, maintenance to the code base, they can go out to this robust community and say, anyone want to do this work for me? Or is anyone doing this type of work for another bank and we don't want to recreate the wheel? And that code can be uh, contributed back into the main uh, core branch of the code, and then we can bring it down to our top, to our environment. So that becomes a very virtuous circle uh, where the different banks are coming up with use cases or examples or features that they want. They don't want to pay for them if if they don't have to. And if other banks need it as well, then the community can come together and say, yes, we're going to all gather around this one issue or this one feature, get it done very quickly and roll it out to everyone else. And then the banks can deploy it. Banks still maintain their environment. They still maintain the code base. They're just bringing in more functionality instead of writing a check for to a proprietary vendor to you know do a custom build or a custom feature for them. So the, the sovereignty for the digital environment is really about being able to control what you operate and deploy to your citizens, um, but then tapping into the international community that is evolving the product and creating more, more features and capabilities for you. Okay. Now, I'm interested in learning more about the origin story behind Mojo Loop. 
uh, I guess, you know, to start this off, one of the questions I should ask earlier was what year were you founded? Uh, we're on our three year anniversary this, this month, um, May of 2020. Uh, so unfortunately, just as, as we stopped flying the airs <laughs> around the world with the, with the COVID pandemic, uh, our community, uh, fortunately, um, it, it's its history had already started evolving. The, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation had this vision for addressing financial inclusion. And one of the areas that they felt they could help with is creating this platform that would create interoperable instant payment solutions. So before I came on board uh, for a couple of years, uh, Gates Foundation was funding various organizations and entities to help develop the blueprint. So by the time they felt that it was solid and ready to iterate more openly, um, it was always an open source project. The Gates Foundation said, you know, we don't want to maintain this governance for the life of the project. We'd rather have a traditional open source software foundation uh, be the steward of the code base and uh, nurture and grow the community. So that's when we formed Mojaloop Foundation. So when I launched in May three years ago, I already had a very vibrant community that was familiar with the code base, had already been coding, had already been testing, had already been releasing documentation, and we just started amping it up from there. And so I started hiring a team, a, a director of community. I now have an engineering director. Um, we have uh, product, count, product councils and community councils that govern our activities and ensure the voice of the customer is being fed into our, our, our work stream roadmap. Um, so it's, it's continuing to evolve and expand and grow as the, the project um, matures. But it, you know, I have to give credit to the Gates Foundation for having the vision, um, but then having the foresight to say, we don't want to maintain this for life. We want a community that's well-governed to maintain this project. We want the community to be very active in the various countries that could benefit from using Mojaloop. And we want to encourage those countries themselves to be active in the Mojaloop community. So, you know, when we do a, a our last community meeting was in Rwanda and Kigali in March, uh, we, we had planned for about 90 attendees. We had 150. And we had we had uh, delegates from across the continent. Uh, probably, I think we had at least thirty countries worldwide represented at this face to face meeting. Not to mention, we ran it um, hybrid, so we had virtual as well. Um, so it was a, really a great example of how we could have central bankers and regulators and systems integrators and hub operators all in the room talking all week long about the roadmap the requirements, the use cases, um, and, and building up everyone's knowledge um, uh, about how, how to deploy Mojaloop and how to improve Mojaloop. Okay. Now, we're almost to the end of our time together today. I have you know one more question that I reserve for each of my guests. But before that, is there anything else we should know about the Mojaloop Foundation or about open source in general? Well, I think um, one area that we didn't touch on too heavily that is uh, really important for us right now is providing cross-border functionality. Um, you can imagine peer-to-peer payments, not just within one country. 
And in fact, what we find is with migratory workforces, remote workforces, um, immigration, there's a, a great need for people to be able to send money cross-border. And that oftentimes that means multi-currency. Very complex issue. Um, and right now, very costly for people to send money over uh, cross-border. So that's a, a, a really important initiative for us to tackle. Not, not a simple task, but um, we have some great experts in the, in the marketplace working with us. We're also very closely aligned with uh, international standards organizations like ISO and the Bank of International Settlement um, and others to ensure that what we do interoperates in this very complex global payment world. Yes, and it's only getting more complex as we go. I know, you know, with the Africa FinTech Summit, we've been discussing cross-border payments since our founding back in 2017, and there's still no clear, perfect player, you know, in the industry, in the market, specifically in Africa, to use for that yet. So I, I wish you all the best on figuring out uh, the, the jumbled mess of, of cross-border payments. <laughs> now, my final question for you. What advice would you give to a young person or university student interested in building a career within an open source community? I think um, skills and networking. And uh, I'll give an example of Rwanda. We had probably about 20 university students attend our event in, in Kilgali last March. Um, what they were able to do on day one is learn how to download uh, what we call mini loop, which is a, a, a very turnkey instance of Moj loop onto their laptops. We have you know, 20, all 20 students loaded it within a half an hour, and then they can start playing with it, learning a little bit more about the code. So if they're particularly interested in Moj loop, we know we have a whole suite of online courses. Um, we have training programs. So it's great. There's, again, all this is freely available um, from our website, mojloop.io. Um, so start exploring, but also get to know the community. And so one of the benefits these students had is they spent the week talking to professionals who make a living being software developers. So getting a sense of what skills are important, um, how to understand this open source development model, how to contribute in a community. Um, we even had a few students volunteer to do some coding uh, under some supervision of other developers. Um, so I think, you know, Folks have, uh, I think, a uh, misconception that developers are, you know, they just sit at their computers all day long. But in this, in, in this open source environment, it's essential that you get to know your colleagues. And they may not be right across the street. They might be halfway across the world. Um, but because our, our open source community is focused on collaboration, you know, time zones and borders are, are no boundary to, to engaging with people that are interested in learning more. So I'd say take a few, take a few of our intro courses, download Miniloop and get a, give it a try, and then start talking to members of our community and see if there's opportunity for you. There's internships at some of these companies that are, that are doing deployments um, or, or if anything, um, just help them track what skills they need to, to develop in order to be um, a part of a software development project. Well, I think that's great advice. Paula, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I look forward to hearing more about Marjolin Foundation's work in the near future. Well, thank you, Andrew, for the time as well. 
Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to hit the subscribe button as every few weeks we have a new edition. Again, my guest on the podcast today was Paula Hunter, the executive director of the Mojaloop Foundation. Have a great rest of your day.